Well, the, one thing the Lord is showing me that uh, religious spirits are getting disturbed here. I really think the Lord really is trying to deliver us from religion. Amen. And that's dis- disturbing for religious spirits. Uh, so they're they're sort of disturbing spirits. But uh, that was one thing John the Baptist really addressed when he came was uh, religion, and that was in preparation for the Lord to come. And so. I really feel like God's really trying to set us free from being religious. Amen. And we're all infected by this disease called religion, and it is a disease. It's part of the fall. Um, and But God is, is very interested in setting us free from that disease, I believe, and healing us, and it's, uh, it's very interesting. Um, we went to Wilmington. Of course, we were looking at one day maybe planting a church down there, and it was just ridiculously too much fun. I thought, this is ministry. You know, we go down here, we eat, we have a meeting, we worship, we share some stuff, then we eat some more, we minister to each other. I mean, I thought, this is, if I tell people what we're doing, they would think, you ain't, you're having fun, you're not doing ministry. <laughs> it was really, just really fun, but the Lord was doing stuff in the middle of all the fun. And I think that's one of the things God wants to do is teach, teach us how to have fun serving Him instead of all this misery that we seem to find ourselves and that's a sure sign of religion is misery. So I wanted to report that to you. Another thing that I think is really exciting, uh, I need to make an announcement, is we have a, a change coming up in our church. And the change is this. Um, with our worship ministry in the church, which, uh, you know, we have always valued worship and will always value worship because that's what we're created to do. Um, and part of that is having a corporate worship service. Um, that's been something that's really important to us and will continue to be important to us. Um, we are going making a little change, and the little change is this. Becky, who has really been the overseer of the worship ministry in the church, effective January 1st will no longer be the overseer of the worship ministry in the church. Uh, Andy Squires will be taking over that role. Yeah. This, so uh, this is a great thing. Um, we really believe the Lord has orchestrated this. We're convinced it's the Lord. The more I talk to Andy and pray about it, the more I know it is God. Poor Andy. <laughs> now, Andy really has a calling to this, and uh, so we're excited about it. You know, one of the things that Becky, she has a calling to do some other things uh, now. She's going to continue, like, leading one of the worship teams, but, you know, that's just... That's a fun thing to do, overseeing it's a little bit more fun even. So so they'll pretty much, from what I understand, they're going to continue as they are, having four different worship teams. And uh, so the difference would be that Becky's not having to do it, so that would really help me a lot personally. <laughs> so I can give her more, you know, people to help. <laughs> so that's, that's something coming up. So we'll be uh, talking more about that um, in the weeks ahead, months ahead, but be praying about it. I want you to pray about it. It's an important thing. Um, so, amen. Speaking of religion, the most, this is the truth. I thought about this. The most non-religious person I know I've got here to speak today. This uh, friend of mine, Dale Brooks. Uh, Dale, um, y'all remember him who were here last time, Was used to be a biker, outlaw biker. I was, people kept telling about this guy, you got to meet this guy, Dale Brooks, Dale Brooks, Dale Brooks. And nobody, I thought, yeah, let me bring, introduce me to him. And nobody ever did. Finally, someone did. And I really was like, wow, I like Dale. He's a cool guy. And, you know, he started talking to me about grace. I said, yeah, my wife needs to hear about that. And 
But he's been really like a Barnabas to me, okay, because he, he's been an encourager in my life and really helped me to come into a, a greater revelation of the grace of God. And that thing is just tremendous. The grace of God is something that is growing and profound. And I was thinking about it this morning. One person uh, told me this. I'm glad I really came to this church because I would really, if I'd have gone somewhere else, I'd have been fine, but I'd have had all this strife in my life. That's the one thing God is, is teaching me here is how to live in grace. And, uh, you know, and I would have missed that if I wouldn't have been here. And then, of course, I was talking to Luis. You know, Luis is in South America now, and that's what he says he preaches down there is grace. So, I mean, he's really bringing a revelation of grace to people down there. And um, grace really is something profound, really. The more I go in it, the more profound it becomes to me. I mean, God's given me some new revelation on it recently. It's like, oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe this. This is too good to be true. This is even better. It gets better. If you really... And I think probably many in this room need a revelation of grace. And that is really, grace and religion don't mix. They don't go together. And that's why I say Dale is a non-religious person, because Dale really is a, is a man who brought, who can release a revelation of grace. Whether he talks directly about it or indirectly, he has an anointing to bring people into the grace of God. Don gave the key verse about grace this morning, one of the key verses, it's no longer I but Christ. That's really what grace really is. It's not you, but it's Jesus living in you and living his life through you. And that can get real exciting. It can get real exciting because all, you know, any other way is religion. And it gets boring and bad quick. So God wants to just release us this morning to a new level of freedom, a new level of grace. So I just want to welcome Dale and Lord bless you, Dale. And you know, come on out here and speak what God's put in your heart. Let's give him a big hand. paid him to say all those wonderful things. Uh, when I came in, a young man standing over here, he asked me, he said, uh, are you a grace preacher? I don't know of any other kind. Uh, these other guys, I really don't know what they're doing, but they're way off base, I'm going to tell them that. And I make no bones about it. The grace of God is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you and me. And so we're going to just study about that this morning. I want you to turn to Second Kings and I have been over there for the last, I don't know, 45 minutes praying. Because I knew that God had given me a word for this church. But God gives me so much sometimes I just don't really know which direction to go. And when your pastor got up here and used the word misery, God said, You, you, you hearing me, boy? I'm talking to you. You know what the title of the message is today? The End of Misery. The End of Misery. And I'm going to tell you something. People who have that religious spirit, they're miserable. I mean, they, they're miserable, and they want you to be miserable along with them. They want to quote their verses and their, their laws to you and make you just as miserable as they are. Hallelujah, Lord took me out of that junk. Boy, I'm glad of that. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And I always counted the honor and the privilege to be here. Uh, my wife, when we walked in, one of the first things she said, I don't know how many of you were here last time we were here, good night did we have a time. And she said, last time I was in this building, God gave me a vision, and I hadn't got over it yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. I hope she don't ever get over it. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 38. 
It says, And Elisha came to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. That's a famine. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot, and seeth pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. breaks my heart people God says that there's death in the pot he means there's death in the church because of what people are teaching a religious spirit and they could not eat thereof but he said then bring meal and he cast it into the pot and he said pour out for the people that they may eat and there was no harm in the pot let's go to the Lord in prayer Thank you, precious Lamb of God, that you took care of the poison. Thank you that you are the bread of life. You are our freedom. Thank you for how we have already worshipped you today. Thank you for these wonderful people who have been taught. and They've listened. They're open to your freedom. Thank you for the great men of God that you've placed in this church and how he has opened himself up to your marvelous grace. And thank you that you're using him to pass it along to a people who are willing and are getting free of a religious spirit. Thank you, Lord. Just continue to teach us. We want you to take us to a deeper level here today. We are not satisfied. We come here today anticipating leaving here different people. We come here today to hear what thus saith our King, our Redeemer, our Mediator. We come here to hear you. So therefore, Lord, I'm asking you to use this body as a willing vessel to speak truth to these people. We're counting on you. We're going to go ahead and praise you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. The end of misery. What was going on here was there was a famine in the land. There was a seven-year famine in this land, and Elisha, he had prophesied about it. Told him it was going to happen. So there was a seven-year famine in the land. And he'd come up to the school of the prophets to teach these guys. He's a bunch of preachers. He was going to teach them. So while he was up there, guess what? He walked up. And people were talking about right in the middle of a famine, Elisha walks up and tells these people, we have got food. We've got pottage. And what Elisha was saying is, I've got a pottage that, the God, that our God is going to feed you with. What Elisha was fixed to show these people was, do you reckon when God gives us something, he gives us enough? Do you think that we have to add to what he gives us? Well, that's what happens here, and you're going to see what happens. Let's just, let's just look at some things. First of all, we're going to see God's sovereign provision. Do you reckon God's sovereign enough to what he, he knows what you need? You reckon he's sovereign enough to know that he, uh, he knows where you're hurting, where your problems are? Do you reckon he's able to meet all those needs, meet all those problems? Well, let's look in verse 38. It says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth, a famine in the land. 
And the sons of the prophet were sitting before him, and he said unto his servant, Sit on the great pot and seize pottage for the sons of the prophets. Now, Elisha told this prophet to just fix the pot. Just fix it. The stuff's already here. And this pottage was shredded meat, uh, rice, and a meal. And it was already provided for God. I mean, by God. Do you understand, children of God, that God's already provided everything you will ever need or everything you've ever needed, and He don't need your help? Do you understand He don't need my help? That's our problem, people. That's what that religious spirit does. Is I, I want to look at Christians sometime and say, what part of it is finished don't you understand? I mean, when my Savior was on the cross, He didn't say, okay, now I'm going to do this much, Dale, and when it comes your time, you've got to do a little bit too. No, He said it's finished. Dale Brooks, when you come to me as Lord and Savior, I give you everything you need. But yet, Dale Brooks, you know what I did? I ran off to a Bible college and started reading and studying and found out that I needed to help God. Well, and then God, after I was out of that college for a while, and pastor, and he had to take me over here on the backside of the desert for a while and teach me and unlearn me some things. And that crowd that I went to college with, they've disowned me. Why? Because God set me free of the religious spirit that they placed in me. I walked around this earth telling everybody, you've got to do this, don't do this, dress this way, don't go there, don't act like that. Do you understand that I rode a motorcycle most of my life and when I got saved and went into, I won't call it a denomination of the church, but I went into this church, got rid of the motorcycle because I was scared to death Christians wasn't supposed to do that. You're looking at a fat, bald-headed man that's riding a motorcycle now and having the time of his life. God has set me free. I've got rid of that religious do's and don'ts. I'm just, matter of fact, I was sitting over a while ago praying and listen to this, people. I got a sermon over in a notebook that I'd planned on preaching, and I was wrestling with the Lord, saying, Lord, what do you want me to tell those people? He said, Son, just do whatever you want to do. Anything you do is okay, because I know your heart. I know how much you love me, so anything you pick up, read my word, and preach, it's going to be okay. I'm going to speak to them because you're free in Christ to do whatever you feel the Spirit leading you to do. So. And then when Byron got up here and said the word misery, God said, Now, I'll give you a choice, but which do you want to do? You can preach your sermon that you want to preach that you've studied and put in that notebook, or you can, you can take that sermon that I just give you fresh off the oven and preach it and see what happens. You know what I believe I'll do? I'm just going to preach the one straight off the oven. Do you reckon God might be able to preach a sermon just a little bit better than me? Do you reckon maybe He knows how to preach a sermon? Well, that's what you're hearing, people. What I'm talking about in verse 38... Elisha told this crowd, said, God is going to provide what you need right in the middle of a famine. People, you and me were out there one day. We were out in the desert. We were in a famine spiritually. And God came and met you. And He said, I have got what you need. And His name is Jesus Christ. You take Him in and you won't need anything. People, this life's not about me. This life's not about you. This life, hey, this book right here is not a self-help book. This book right here is about Jesus Christ, who He is and what He wants to do. This book is about my darling Savior from Genesis to Revelation. You see, when I was in that religious spirit, when I was doing all that studying and everything, here's what I thought. This book is to teach me how to be a better Christian. And I'd get over in the book of Genesis and read some verses. Then I'd get over in the book of Galatians, and it just didn't line up. 
But praise the Lord, about seven or eight years ago, Jesus showed me what it's really all about and started introducing me to the grace of God. And now I can go from Genesis to Revelation. Everywhere I open the book, guess who pops out? Jesus Christ jumps off the page at me. The whole book is about Him. It's, hey, the Bible is not about Job. It's not about Abraham. It's not about Isaac and Jacob. The only reason God put those people in there is to show you what He could do with a bunch of mess-ups. Those people were nothing but failures. They all needed a Savior. Ever since Adam fell in the garden, we've all needed a Savior. We've been in a desert. We've been in a dearth. We've been in a famine. But hallelujah, God came to do something about that. God's sovereign provision. See, and if you'll notice, Elisha told him just, hey, fix the pot. He didn't tell him to add anything to it. He just said, fix the pot, what God has provided. God had already provided the meat. God had already provided the rice. God had already provided the meal for the pottage. And you don't see anywhere in that verse where Elisha tells the son, the prophet, to add anything to the pottage. Here's where we mess up. Let's go on. We're going to see man's sinful intrusion. This has been the problem ever since the very beginning, ever since the fall. Men think they got to put their nose into God's business. Well, let's look at verses 39 and 40. It says in verse 39, it says, And one went out into the field. Did Elisha tell him to do that? He did not tell him to go out in the field and get no herbs. He did not tell him to do that. Well, here he goes out there to get the herbs, and he found a wild vine and gathered there of wild gourds, his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. Isn't that amazing how men don't even know what they're doing half the time? This guy didn't even know they were poison. They look good. Do you understand what these gourds are? They're wild cucumbers. Let me ask you a question. Can you look at a cucumber and tell whether it's good or bad? When you bite into some of them, you know they're not all that good. Well, that's what's going on here. And do you understand in the religious world, people do stuff and it looks good on the outside, but it's got poison on the inside? I mean, it looks good. That religious spirit will dress up. It looks great. And isn't it amazing what we cover up in a three-piece suit? Isn't it amazing how people, isn't it amazing how they can put on their good Sunday to go meet and clothes and cover up all that junk, all that poison? Well, that's what happens when men and women start putting their nose in God's business. And that's what this guy has done. He's went out there and he's picked some wild cucumbers. And here he comes back. In verse 40 it says, So they poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating of the potties that they cried out and said, Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot. People, I'll tell you something. There's been death in the pot ever since men have got involved in God's business. What happened in the Garden of Eden? God created a man. Perfect. I mean, created him perfect. Put him in a perfect garden. Created him a helpmate. Perfect. Just go right along with him. Filled him with his life. What did the devil say? Come over here a minute. If you eat of this fruit right here, you'll be just like God. That's a lie straight out of hell. He was already all that God meant for him to be. And he partook of that fruit, stuck his nose in God's business, and he fell. And ever since then, there's been a religious spirit running across this earth, every man trying to do what they think is good in their own eyes, trying to help God out, and it's been a mess. It's poison in the pot. And people, it's been happening. Read your Bible. What about Aaron's sons? Remember them? Brought strange fire to the worship of God. What did God do? 
Remember this. Remember old Eli, his sons? They worshiped God funny. What did he do? He killed them. What about Abraham? What about Sarah? Remember, God t- did God not tell Abraham, I am going to give you a son? What did Abraham do? Well, God ain't coming through. Let's help him out. Do you understand that we had planes fly into our buildings here in the United States September the 11th, several years ago? And do you understand the reason that happened is because Abraham and Sarah stuck their noses in God's business, had a son that God did not mean for them to have, and them two nations have been fighting ever since? And do you understand that they hate Israel? I saw some on television not long ago, and they, somebody asked them, said, Why do you hate America so? They said, say we hate anybody that has anything to do with Israel. You know why that is? Because Abraham and Sarah stuck their nose, intruded into God's business, and did something that God did not want them to do. I'm telling you people, God provides exactly perfectly what He wants to do. Did He not tell Abraham, I am going to give you a son. I am going to give you a son through Sarah, your wife. Did He do it? Yeah, it took him a while. It took him a while, but he did it. But Abraham had already messed up. See what I'm talking about? Well, these guys right here, they thought the pottage wasn't good enough the way it was, and that's the way religion does. Religion thinks God's way is not good enough. You see, you people are not acting right, so I've got to whip out some laws on you. i got to, matter of fact, laws, God's not good enough. I'm going to add a few little sentences on to it. Do you understand that pharisaical crowd that Jesus walked up in the midst? They weren't just laying out God's law on people. They'd done add a bunch of other stuff to it. They were adding so much stuff that even they couldn't even keep. Do you understand how bad they were? Here's what they would do. They did not want you even walking across a field on the Sabbath. You know why? Because they had a law that said if you walked across that field and you started sweating and a drop of sweat dropped off you and hit the ground, it would splash the sand open and that was plowing. How would you like to live around that crowd? That's what religion will do to you. I'm telling you, I know there. Been, hey, I've been there. Tried to live that junk. Put a bunch of stipulations on people that I couldn't even live. I'd get up in the pulpit and hammer them to death. Where was you at Wednesday night, you no good rotten sinner? You can't love God and lay out of church on Wednesday night. Do you know that you're looking at a preacher that don't go to church every Wednesday night? I'm free, people, in Christ. I do what God tells me to do. I don't listen to some man of God, what his opinion is. And I'm sorry, Byron, I'm not trying to get you people to go against you. But listen, people, what I'm saying is God does not need my help. He does not need Byron's help. He does not need anybody's help. He provides exactly what you need. And if we're not careful, we stick religion in there and mess it up. That's what's happening here. That's why there's death in this pot right here. It... There was a perfect, perfect pottage that God wanted these prophets to eat, and they were not to do anything to it, and they stuck their noses in it and made it work. You couldn't even eat it. Aren't you glad God don't leave us like that? See, He provided. Men messed it up, just like God provided Adam and Eve had a perfect plan. They messed it up. The world's been messed up ever since. But I'm glad. Hey, if you ever read your Bible... Have you ever noticed that God already has a provision made before the mistakes ever made? You say, what are you talking about? Well, we kind of sit around like the devil slipped up on God and snuck in the Garden of Eden and messed up Adam and Eve in the fall and it caught God off guard. 
And all of a sudden he run back and said, Oh my God, we've got to come up with a redemption plan now. No, my Bible tells me that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Didn't catch God off guard. That's part of the plan. The devil just didn't know it. Praise God, God has always made a way, even for mine and your mistakes, even when men do stick their noses into his business. All right, that's what's going to happen here. Let's move on. We've seen God's sovereign provision. We've seen man's sinful intrusion. Let's look at faith. Faith is simple solution. Aren't you glad God... And by the way, the man is right. A while ago that read Galatians 2.20 or quoted Galatians 2.20, I agree. I go along with the King James Version. I didn't even have enough faith to get saved. So what did God do? He gave me His faith. <laughs> you reckon He believes in what He's doing? He passed along His faith to me so that I could get saved. Didn't I? <laughs> you think you've got a wonderful Savior? Keep listening, people. He's more wonderful than you think. I mean, He's provided it all. He's done it all for you and me so that you and me can be birthed into God's family. Well, that's what He's fixed to do right here. Let's move on and read the verses. Faith's simple solution is in verse 41. It says, But He said, Then bring meal. See, you've got, you got to trust Christ to conquer the power of death. You've got to understand about this word meal. That word meal is flour. What do you make out of flour? Bread. What did Jesus call himself? The bread of life. See where God's going with this text right here? And I will tell you something, people. You know how you get flour? You take the bread corn. And you crush it and you grind it up to where it just becomes nothing but powder. And then you make flour out of it. Then you make bread out of it. Do you understand 2,000 years ago, God Himself, all the wrath that Dale Brooks had coming down on Him, all the wrath that God's wrath was going to come on me, it came down on Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians, He who knew no sin become sin that I could become the righteousness of God. I stand here today a holy, righteous being and I of God because my Lamb of God was crushed. He was grinded up on that cross. All the wrath of God came down on Him. Have you seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? It does not do justice to what really happened to my Savior. Now, that's about as close as I've ever seen. But I'll tell you something, people. It was a lot worse than that. It, he was not even recognizable as a man. The wrath of God come down on him and beat him beyond recognition. All the wrath that you and I deserve crushed Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago where you and me could stand before a holy God. The sin debt has been paid. What did John the Baptist call Jesus Christ? Behold the Lamb of God who hides Dale Brooks' sin. Uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Do you understand, praise God, I'm standing here right now before God guiltless? <laughs> I don't get up every day and run in there at, at the end of the day when I get through sinning. I don't run in there and fall on my face. Oh God, please don't kill me. Oh God, please forgive me. Praise God, He's already forgiven me. And I don't take sin lightly, and I know if I mess up, I do suffer the consequences of my wrong decisions. Am I clear on that? What I do is when I sin, and I do sin daily, and I mess up, what I do is I go in there and get along with the Lord, and I go to 1 John 1, 9, and I don't use it as a crutch. I go in there and I say, God, I confess I messed up today. I blew it. You know what the word confess means? I totally agree with God about my sin. 
it cost his darling son for me to do what I did. And I say, God, I confess it. I agree with you. I blew it. I went totally against my nature. I went against totally who I am in you. I could bring it before you. And God, I ask your Holy Spirit, next time that temptation comes, you just get out in front of me and say, Dale, we're not going there again. And do not let me go against my nature. Hey, ain't that a better way of living? Or do you want to just... Hey, you know what Charles Stanley says we're doing when we run to 1 John 1, 9? He said most of the Christian society ain't doing nothing but running over to 1 John 1, 9 and picking the same old stinking rotten fruit off the same old stinking tree they do day in and day out and can't figure out why in the world we're not free in Christ. Praise God. God is our... The forgiveness is already done, people. He did it 2,000 years ago. And when I go in there and confess my sin before Him, agree with Him on it, you know what I do? I say, Lord, I received the forgiveness that You've already given me. What a Savior we've got. And praise God, people, this right here, this, he said, then bring the meal, and he put it into the pot, and said, pour out for the people, and they may eat, and there was no harm in the pot. You know what the, you know what the flower had done? It removed the death from the pot. Hallelujah. Praise God, people. I want to tell you something. I believe 1 Corinthians 15 is still in the Bible. I will look at death and say, where in the world is your sting? I ain't afraid of you. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Hallelujah, my mother and daddy's over here in Gastonia, North Carolina, laying in the ground. Both of them's already over yonder. I was telling people I did a conference this weekend. I told them, I said, I've been asking God for years to let me just be over at that graveyard one day, visiting one day, and him come out of the eastern sky. Praise God, me and my mother and daddy, we're going to join together in the air to meet my Lord. Hey, and you know why? You know why they're coming out first? They got six feet farther to go than I have. They coming out of that ground and praise God, I'm going to look down and say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? My mother and daddy's going to be singing a duet with me and they're going to say, Oh, grave, where is thy hold on me? You do not have power over me. Do you understand, people, this flower was mixed in that death pot and it removed the death out of it. Aren't you glad, praise God, you had a death sentence on you? The flower, the bread of God was given to you, given in your life, and the death sentence has been removed. You are never going to die. You may lay this body down, but the real you is going to live with eternal life forever. Isn't that wonderful? I've got some news for you, too. Eternal life is not a thing. Eternal life is a person. John, who was a witness, lived with him for three and a half years, says in his little epistle in 1 John, he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That kind of knocks that crowd in the head, that religious crowd that thinks they're going to go to heaven without Jesus, don't it? You will not ever make it into heaven if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is eternal life. That flour was poured in the death pot that I was trying to eat out of. And praise God, it made it where I could eat it. And do I not look like I'm doing pretty good eating? I'm enjoying this life, people. I'm telling you something. I am so free in Christ, it amazes me. This religious crowd, I make them so mad. I tell them all the time, that I can dress up in a devil's costume, hide Easter eggs under a Christmas tree. Boy, that makes them mad. That religious crowd, they don't do that stuff. You ain't going to see me out there on the devil's day. There ain't no day the devil's day. Every day is a day that the Lord has made. And Halloween don't scare me. Easter bunny don't scare me. Praise the Lord, people. I'm talking about freedom in Christ. He removed all that death junk from me. Uh, as Byron said a while ago, that religious spirit. 
Not only did we see trust in Christ to conquer the power of death, we see in this verse 41 too, we see trust in Christ to cancel the poison of sin. Do you understand Romans 8, 2 says, For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Do you understand that you had a law pulling down on you and that law was the law of sin and death? Let me just give you an illustration. Do you understand as fat as I am, there's a law pulling down on me? And if that law wasn't pulling down on me, it's called the law of gravity. Do you understand that that law, if it wasn't pulling down on this fat boy, I'd be floating around up there somewhere as fat as I am. The law of gravity pulls... Matter of fact, the law of gravity is a bad joke. The older you get, the more it pulls on you. Do you understand I used to have a 65-inch chest? Now I've got a 75-inch waist. Gravity is pulling down all the time. It pulls down on all of us. That's why we're on this earth. But i got some news for you. Come first to next month, I've got an appointment. I've got to go down to Puerto Rico and teach. Well, I'm going to go over to Douglas International Airport. I'm going to get over there. I've got an e-ticket. Well, I'm going to walk in there to the counter, and I'm going to get me a paper ticket. They're going to tell me to go down this hall. I'm going to go down there to gate C or D or G, whatever. They're going to come me down, tell me to go down to a certain gate. I'll go down there and wait like y'all are waiting in chairs like this right here and with a couple hundred other people. And all of a sudden, they'll come on intercom and they'll say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're boarding flight so-and-so to uh, destination Puerto Rico today. We're right on time. We'd ask you to come to the gate and start entering and loading the airplane. Well, I go over and hand them my piece of paper. got my name on it. They tear it in half, give me another piece, tell me to go down this corridor following these, all these other people. And we go down that corridor, start out out there, and get out on a great big piece of metal with seats in it. Who the, hey, listen to this. This will really encourage you if you do a lot of flying. The people that design those things say they cannot get off the ground. Hey, you'll catch that sooner or later. What I'm saying is them things are not designed to really get off the ground, but they do it anyway in spite of the people that design them. Well, I get on that thing, go back there, and sure enough, that piece of paper has got me a seat with, my, with a number on it. So I sit down in that seat put my seat belt on along with a bunch of other people and in a little while I love sitting on the wing too while I fly okay I'm sitting back there on the wing and after a while this voice comes over the intercom and starts telling us I've never met this man that comes over the intercom and starts talking to us but he says ladies and gentlemen I'm captain so and so I'm going to be flying this airplane today we're getting ready to head toward Puerto Rico just sit back and enjoy your flight and ladies and gentlemen we're getting ready to leave the gate out onto the tarmac and I look out there and sure enough some big old things start spinning out there on that wing and I don't know anything about them things. They're spinning, and all of a sudden they put a little cart up in front of that airplane and start pushing it back. We start out across the tarmac, go out there and get on the runway, and that guy on the intercom comes back and says, Ladies and gentlemen, we're prepared to uh, leave Douglas International Airport. Hope you enjoy your flight today. We're going to rise up about 32,000 feet. And so I just sit back, and sure enough, them things get faster and faster and faster, and all of a sudden they get so fast we start moving. And we go down the runway and get faster and faster and faster, and all of a sudden, I mean, he pours the coal to this thing, and it just puts me back in my seat, and we leave the ground. Well, guess what just happened? That man operating that thing has put into action the law of aerodynamics, and it defies the law of gravity. And guess what? We're all leaving the ground. We go up about 32,000 feet. We get up there, we're just sailing along in the blue sky, just having time of our life. I look at the guy next to me, and I say, you know something? I ain't a bit afraid of the law of gravity. Go over and open up that safety door. What do you think's fixing to happen to me? 
I've walked over in my own power, and I'm fixing to get sucked out that door and come back to the ground as hard as I can go. No, I'm going to sit right there in that seat. I'm going to trust somebody that I've never laid eyes on. I believe he knows what he's doing, and he's going to get me to my destination. Well, i got some news for you people. March 10th, 1982, I heard a voice speaking to me, and he said, You are under the law of sin and death. But if you'll listen to me, I'm getting ready to take you on a trip. I'll come to live inside of you. And I am going to overtake the law of sin and death by the law of the Spirit of life in me. I'm going to give you life, Dale Brooks. And if you'll just believe it, I'm going to take you on a journey. Bless Pat, I was just dumb enough to believe him. And I jumped on board that airplane. Praise God, I'm flying. I'm taking a trip. And I believe he's going to get me exactly where he told me he's taking me. I've never met him. Praise God, I know He's real, and I'm just trusting Him. You see what's happening, people? That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8, 2. Sin has been defeated in mine and your life. Romans 6, 14, he says, Sin does not have dominion over you any longer. That means it does not rule and reign over you. What has happened? The death pot has been invaded by flour, by bread. And if you'll notice, when you put that flour in that death pot, you know what happened immediately when they poured that flour in that death pot? The flower sucked up the poison. Jesus Christ, I told you a while ago, He who knew no sin becomes sin. He sucked up all the sin within Himself and took my sin curse on Him. I'll tell you something, Christian friends. People who are lost, they don't have no choice. They are going to sin. You and I, when we sin, we consciously make a choice to sin. What most Christians get confused about is they think the temptation's a sin. No, if temptation's a sin, Jesus is a sinner. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. So your temptation is not a sin. Temptation is going to come to you, but what you need to do when the sorry, no good, lying rascal comes over and starts whispering thoughts into your brain, you need to stand up and say, that's not who I am. I'm not going there. I'm free to do that in Christ Jesus, but I'm not going there. That goes entirely against who I am. Do you see what I'm saying, people? The poison of sin does not have power over you any longer. So if you sin, you choose to sin. That's what the, the flower does in its death pot. All right, we've trusted Christ to conquer the power of death. We've trusted Christ to content, cancel the poison of sin. Let's lastly look at trusting Christ to control the principle of life. Look at what he does. He says, he cast it into the pot, and he said, pour it out for the people that they may eat. There was no harm in the pot. Do you understand, people, that it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that the death of Jesus Christ continuously works through us, that the life of Jesus might be manifested? Do you understand that when you're going through trials, your whole life is falling apart, you're losing everything, your job, whatever, you've got a wayward child, something terrible is going on in your life, do you understand that that's the death of Jesus Christ working in your life so that people around you can see the life of Jesus Christ working out? It's all got a purpose, people. And what's going on here, did you notice that after he told the prophet to put the flower in the death pot, he told him to pass it out? you understand here in this church right here life is being given to you and you are to pass it out do you understand there's people out there today they don't have a clue they don't have a clue what real life's all about and we were talking coming up the road my family and me we were talking coming up the road don't get mad at people who are lost who curse around you drink around you 
commit all kind of wicked acts, do you understand they're just doing what comes natural to them? That's their nature. What you need to do is let them see life flowing through you that will draw them. Let them see what a death pot they're eating out of. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to throw a bunch of laws on them. You know, hey, they know they're committing adultery. They don't need to hear the Ten Commandments about how thou shalt not commit adultery. No, they need to just see that you are not doing it because Jesus lives in you. So, let's get out of this misery. Hallelujah for a church that actually stands up openly and says, we have asked God to get rid of this spirit of religion. Now, I'm going to leave here today, and I'm going to go back down south of here, and I'm going to preach in a church this same denomination that I am, and I'm going to have to go down there and battle that stuff. And I preach in a lot of different churches, week in and week out, and you wouldn't believe some of the stuff. Everybody don't receive what I preach. I don't care. God didn't tell me to go down there and make friends. God told me to just go down there and preach what He says and let Him handle all that. I got over all that stuff a long time ago. What The invitation was my responsibility. What, what I said was my responsibility for you to get it. You didn't get nothing I said here today. That's God's problem. That's His responsibility. I want us to stand right now and let's just go to the Lord in prayer and I don't know how you want to do this invitation, but I want every one of us just to bow our heads. And if the musicians want to come, that's fine. But what we need to do today is we need to just ask the Lord, what kind of junk are we still holding on to? What kind of religious spirit is still governing us? People, you've got to understand, even if you do understand, hey, I've been living and teaching grace for about seven or eight years. It still happens. Satan still tries me to go back, get me to go back and try to... Hey, and listen, when stress is on you, the flesh will come to the surface. Always. You can count on it. When stress really sets in, flesh will try to rise up. And before we do the invitation, I've got one more thing I need to tell you. We are learning in our office that everybody wanting to face this earth, they have been told three core lies all their life. Three core lies. You know what they are? You need to believe a lie about God. Let me give you an illustration. My core lie all my life has been that God is not fair. I believe that all my life. Do you understand even as a preacher today, that lie still tries to crop up? It still tries to come up into my life and says, See, I told you God wasn't fair. Look at what's happening to you. My second lie is, and your second lie will be, the lie that you believe about yourself. Okay, if I believe a lie that God is not fair, I also believe the lie that since He's not fair, I got to stay in control all the time. I got to control this thing. If He's not going to give me a fair deal, I'm going to take control and I'm going to get I'm going to get by anyway. So see the lie I've always lived. And the third lie is the lie you believe about other people. You're looking at a man for years. I didn't trust anybody. I'm talking about people in the church. I didn't trust them. Why? Because God's not fair and He's going to put a bunch of people in my life. They're going to stab me in the back. i got to stay on top of that all the time. So that's my three core lies. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're here today, I want you to 
get alone by yourself and say, God, I want you to reveal to me what my three core lies are. My lie about you, my lie about myself, and my lie about other people. You got one, I promise you. And it'll cause you to be religious. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for what you've done in my heart. Thank you for how you're teaching me from 2 Kings chapter 4 that I still have things in my life that I've not completely let your bread, your son, take care of it. In this congregation today, we all just need you. We need your life. We need you flowing through us. You will conquer this religious spirit in all of us. I believe these people are open. So therefore, during this invitation, you do whatever you see fit. You draw them to you, not to me, not to Byron, not to this church, but to you. Let us all just be open and transparent and willing to just come before you and lay it all out. Counting on you, I'm going to go ahead and praise you in Jesus' name. And what I'm going to do is... I'm going to walk right over here, and I'm going to sit down. I'm going to be praying, praying the whole time during this invitation. And you do whatever God tells you to do. You do business with your Savior. You do business with the one that's shown you that there's death in the pot, and he wants to do something about it. Come on. Come to this altar. Do whatever God tells you to do. a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense Jesus it's your blood